0: Good morning. Thank you so much for your affirmation, and uh, it's always an interesting thing as uh, the pastors, going through that process, we know that uh, this is an important month, not just for us, but for the body, and not only for the pastors of Midland Free, but other pastors throughout the community. As you uh, run into them and they're serving Christ, you're welcome to affirm them as well. Uh, It's definitely good to affirm one another, whether you are a pastor or not. We are all serving Christ, and uh, we need to constantly be reminded to affirm one another. I think that's one of the values of birthdays and anniversaries and Christmas and Pastor Appreciation Month and yada, yada, yada. It just breaks our routine and causes us to stop and say, oh yeah, cool, this actually is something I need to remember and it's a good thing. So thank you. Thank you for that. Today we're in uh, Galatians chapter three and we invite you, Lord, to join us as we uh, begin to study your word. And church, we're moving through this process of uh, looking at this book of Paul uh, to his friends in the, this province of Galatia. And uh, it's an interesting deal. You've seen a lot so far, but basically what I'd like to do today is sort of use an analogy. And I know that this is the early service, but I was thinking about it this morning. We call this the early service. It's like 9.30 right now. Do you know that? It's 930. This is like three hours later than your normal start time, okay? It may feel really early on Sunday morning, but it's 930. Most of you have already been at work for several hours by now on a normal day. So welcome to Sunday morning. Let me ask you a question, even though it is the early service. You're welcome to contribute in whatever way you want. You can speak out. It's not against the rules. I'm asking you a question. Here we go. If you're going to take a road trip... What are four, and you don't have to say four, but at least one, one essential thing that a road trip requires? What do you need? Sorry, give me me a hand or something, otherwise I can't pick it out, otherwise you have to be loud. Linda? A Garmin, okay, very good. Young man? Wi-Fi, wow, these are different than the answers I was thinking. Okay, a Garmin and a Wi-Fi, yes, ma'am. A sense of adventure. Very good. What else? In the back row. Water bottles. Very good. Stay hydrated. Yes, sir. A map. There we go. What, what's a map, by the way? Just kidding. Alright, what else? We got, we, so far we have water and a map. And a garment. And you need a plan. That's right, man. What else? You need your mom on a road trip. Okay, very good. Somebody's got to hand out those snacks, right? Okay, let's see. Or got to hand way back there, Patrick. Music, absolutely. You've got to go down. So you've got your Garmin, your music, your map, yes. sense of an... gasoline. There we go. What do you need gas for? A car. Oh, we need a vehicle to go on a road trip. Okay, what else? You need someone to read the map for you. Very good. Well, let me give you four of mine. These are all good, and they're definitely different. And I was expecting somebody to say something like, I don't know, you've got to have cheesy fries or something like that, like something silly that you must have on an adventure. But these are the basic things that I have on any road trip. I feel like, now, we can argue these points, but please just go with it for the sake of today. Um, You need a destination. Now, I know there's a trip you could take, just randomly hop on your motorcycle and go, but let's just pretend you're going with this. You need a destination. You've got to be going somewhere to be going on a trip. Secondly, you need a path. You need to go along some certain route. And third, you need a vehicle. You need something to get you there, to carry you along. And finally, you need somebody to drive that vehicle. Now, I've left out the music and the snacks and everything else, but... The sense of adventure, I'm assuming, will come along for the ride. In Michigan, if you were to take a road trip, at least where we live, this is what you would do perhaps in the summertime. You'd say, we want to go up north. We want to go to the UP. So our destination would be the UP. Along the way, you'd say, okay, we need to decide upon our route or our path. And if you're just taking the most efficient one, you're probably going up 75 You need a vehicle to take you there, and depending on your family, you might need a motorcycle, you might need a minivan, you might need a monster van, you might need to take a truck. You'll take some sort of transportation, and then you'll have to decide upon a driver. Well, as is the case in any road trip, and especially one from uh, mid-Michigan up to the UP, or from the lower mainland up to Glory, what so too is true in your Christian life if you're on this thing we call a life journey obviously we're somewhat assuming there's a destination there's somewhere you're going we all get the sense in general that we're not there yet right I don't know where there is but I'm not there yet I'm trying every day and I feel like it's a hard uphill climb but I'm just not there yet we have a destination not only do we have a destination but we also have a path we have some way in which we're trying to get there and we have a vehicle which carries us, and we have someone who's driving the process, whether it's us or some unseen force or whatever. All of these things are true in our life journey as well. The Bible lays it out a bit like this, and this slide, I think, sums it up. It's saying that your destination is perfection. I'm just calling it perfection because you can call it glory, but then we think of you know halos and weird things. and. You could call it heaven, but then we think of little flying cupids and stuff like that. You could call it shalom, but then we go into whatever. But it's this biblical concept of when everything is just right, just the way we want it to be. Restored to its original state, absolute perfection, splendor and glory, the presence of unhindered fellowship with God. That's what we're going for. Perfection, absolute, sin-free, pain-free, perfect state where the only thing is our Ultimate satisfaction in the beauty and glory of God. Nothing is lacking. Here we are. We've arrived. There's no more. I'm not there yet. It's this is it. I'm here. Perfection. Glory. The way I will say that the Bible lines it out is the way of promise. The way of promise. And that the vehicle that's going to deliver us to that place is faith. And the driver or the compelling one in this process is. Is God. Now, here, point number four is actually where really I think the analogy breaks down a lot. You know, God is the driver, but He's also like the gasoline. He is the combustion. He is the thing that blows up inside the engine that propels it with energy and force and moves it forward. And He's also the one directing you along the way. So it's not enough to say He's the driver, He's the everything. But for the sake of the analogy, we're just going to say God's the driver. So here's the analogy that I'm going to use to drive. Here's the analogy that I'm going to use to drive this sermon forward today. It's 9.30. Come on. (laughs) 9.30. All right. We're driving this thing forward with the road trip analogy. Yes, I thought of that myself. Thank you. We're driving it forward and we're we're looking at this analogy but what you'll see is in this in this chapter there's a little bit different analogy it's somewhat complex it revolves around legal documents and a will and ratification and stuff like that and i'm not an attorney so what i decided to do is rather than wax eloquent on stuff i know nothing about for the next 30 minutes i'm going to use my own analogy and let you chase that down in the life group questions now say you're not in a life group that's okay cuz guess what we've got a website <laughs> And on our website, there's a connect tab, and below that connect, it says life group. And under that, you can grab the questions, even if you're not in a life group. We don't keep them stashed in a secret file somewhere. They're there and there for you to use. So if you want to do that with your family tonight, go for it. Pull up the questions on your computer, print them off, or read them on your phone, and you can work through Paul's legal analogy in chapter 3. But the way I'm going to do it for the broader general audience today is just through this road trip analogy. And so you have a destination, you have a path, you have a vehicle, and you have a driver. Now the Galatians, the people in Galatia, what they're saying is they're kind of the foil to the apostle. And they're saying, okay, we agree with you. We're on We're on board. <laughs> we agree with you. We're following you as far as it goes. We believe there's a destination. We as Jews will call that shalom. We believe that that's the perfect peace that's promised by God to the patriarchs. We're not so much on board with the Jesus thing, but we're good with Shalom. But where we really diverge is in the path, in the vehicle, and the driver. And the Jews, in Galatians chapter 3, will say that the path is not the way of promise, but instead the way of law. The path to get to Shalom is by the law. You must follow the law. That is your path. And the, then the vehicle that's going to take you along this path is your own good works. You're going to just trot, trot, trot as you go down this path of the law and you make sure not to go to the left or the right and you do this and you do, do that and that moves you forward. And therefore, ultimately, the driver behind this is you yourself. You are the main participant in this process. You are driving this thing forward. And the apostle is saying, no, 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 it's the exact opposite, guys. Destination is perfection. It is biblical shalom, but the path is God's promise. This is how, this is the route you're going to take. The vehicle is faith, and God is the driver. Now, what you've seen in Galatians so far is that the destination is somewhat taken for granted. He doesn't spend a lot of time describing that perfect state in the book of Galatians. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that this morning either. But what he does spend time on is the vehicle, and that was the previous chapters up until now, where he's emphasizing the message of faith, that there is an object, that there is a content, that there is a gift, and that there is a spirit making this whole thing come alive. And he's saying, by grace through faith, by grace through faith, he's emphasizing faith, 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 faith. So that's up until this point. But today, the main thing that he's talking about is the path. The way, the route in which we are to go. So that will continue then into this uh, next conversation that we're going to have. So the road trip analogy uh, by the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles in, I invite you to go ahead and turn there. Uh, We're in the 15th verse of the third chapter. This is Galatians chapter 3. Says this: To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to your offspring, referring to many, but to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance, that's the shalom, the peace, the perfection, comes by law, it no longer comes by promise. But here's how it actually comes. God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? Why do we have this thing in addition to the promise? Well, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring, singular, should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. That's Moses. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. So in other words, the promise is better because it's straight from the source. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law, and we wouldn't need anything else. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that it would make really clear, crystal clear, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe to the glory of God forever. Amen. Galatians chapter 3, this is the word of the Lord. Destination, path, vehicle, driver. Now, as I said earlier, the destination uh, was something that Paul doesn't talk about a whole lot, but let me just show you that real quick. Here's our destination. Here's where we're going Genesis 1 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is a fundamental underlying assumption in all of Scripture that God started this thing, that He is the driver, that He is propelling it and moving it forward. His creation, He made it, He owns it, He controls it. It all goes back to Him, God. God created. In order that, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, this is why He did it. The whole ball of wax revolves around this. Why are you here? What's your purpose? What's your meaning in life? Here it is. In order that, everything, that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen purpose of our existence the purpose of creation the purpose of all things is the glory of God now that is the destination so the question becomes well what is the path how do we get there and Jews historically look back and say okay we think because of the law this is this is our path now let me assure you I'm going into some explanation of the law because that's what this passage does so I'm trying to stay true to the scripture but this does have direct application to your life and I'll show you that at the end of the sermon today how this moves you in your spiritual journey and moves you forward in your faith. So here's the deal, the Jews look back and they say, "Okay, we've got the law. We're focused on it." And Paul is saying, "No, no, no, no. You guys need to look back even further than that. Don't don't start with the law. It didn't start with the law. Who did it start with? Abraham. He's your father, right? He's he's the great father of the Jewish faith. He's the first one. So go back to him. Genesis chapter 12, it says this. How did it begin? Did it begin with law? Here's how it started. The Lord said to Abraham. He just walked up to him and says, Hey, Abraham, here you go. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Not a lot of specificity in there. (laughs) He doesn't tell him, you know, Turn left here, watch out for this, do this and that. You just get up and go. How are you going to do that? You're going to have to believe God by faith. He's not spelling out all the adventures and journeys and costs along the way. He's just saying, go. Look, Christian, this is just like your life. You don't have all the answers. God is leading you forward, and sometimes you're just going to have to believe Him. Get up and go. Where? I'm not going to tell you yet. Go. He says to Abraham, go to the land that I will show you. I'm not even telling you its name yet. I'll just show it to you when you get there and you'll know. And listen to all these I wills. This is crazy. Verse 2, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Who do you think the main driver in this thing is? (laughs) It's not Abraham. It's God. And what's propelling him forward, the divine power behind it, of course, is God. But God is making a promise to him. He doesn't say, Abraham, if you do this, then I'll do that. Abraham, here's the deal. You fulfill your end of the bargain, and I'll fulfill mine. And we'll work nicely together, because you come halfway, I'll come the other half, and it'll work out. You know, God's just like, I'm going to bless you. Unconditional, unilateral covenant. An agreement where this divine actor says it's all on me. I will propel this thing forward. It's a promise. Now, in order for Abraham to be faithful, what he has to do is accept that promise and act on it. This is the nature of faith. We Christians are always trying to wrap our minds around faith. We're like, oh, is it just belief or is it intellectual consent? And how does works and faith and my role and God's role intertwine. And this is it. This is it right here. God comes and says, I'm going to do this. Do you believe me? And Abraham says, yes, I believe. Now what if he stayed in earth? He would say, Abraham, you don't believe. You really don't believe God because if you believed him, you would get up and go. You would live your life by faith and follow this promise. Because God has made you a promise and if you believe the promise, you will act upon it. That is christian faith god comes and says i'm the mover i'm the shaker i do it you just come along for the ride and if you say oh cool all right i'll sit back and do nothing then that's not faith you say yes i believe i'll step forward in faith abraham believes god and it was counted to him as righteousness how do we know because god said get up and go he went that's faith it's for real And Abraham's journey begins right here. So he goes down the road. Now listen, there's Abraham and who comes after that? I hope you know this. Who comes after that? Isaac, who comes after that? Jacob, who comes after that? He had a really pretty coat. Joseph, exactly right. Did any of those guys have the law? These are the great heroes of the faith. Where's the law? Doesn't even exist yet. How can Joseph be so awesome without the law? He lives by faith. He believes the promises of God, even when he's in the depth of despair. He believes. Abraham believed, and God did, even though Jacob was a rascal and a scoundrel. God blesses him. God is moving this thing forward by faith, not by the law. And there's this huge period of time there. And that's why the apostle brings up this four hundred and thirty years thing. That's from Jacob's blessing up until Moses. Okay, that's not from Adam, that's from Jacob. And he's saying, Look, if you really want to think about it, go back to Adam. You got Adam and you got Noah and Noah's sons and Job's in there somewhere, and then you got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's this huge period of time where there's no law. How did these people end up in Hebrews chapter eleven? How? By faith. They follow the promises of God. This unconditional, unilateral covenant that God made with them. So it's always been by faith. Now, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. We're still on the path. But here's what happens. Here's what happens. Along the path, there's a roadblock. There's a roadblock. So you think about, you're going up to the UP, right? We're jumping back into that road trip journey. You're going up to the UP and it's middle of summer, so what are they doing? Fixing the Michigan roads, right? They're all broken, full of potholes because the winter froze them all. And so, what do you do? Do you turn around and go back or do you quit? No. What happens is there's a big orange sign and It says detour. And you get off and you fall along a frontage road. And you were going 70, 75 miles an hour, moving down the highway. Now you're slowed up a bit and you got to watch out because there's this, you know, like warning track, There's the little white pylons, there's the big orange buckets, and there's a great big concrete barrier. And and if you're like me, you're driving along the road, and you're like, Ooh, honey, look at that. Whoa. She's like, "Stay on the road. Come on, you're going to kill us. Well, she's nicer than that, but you often do hear a little ernt when I'm driving. So I'm visual, and I like seeing all this beautiful stuff out in God's creation, and who knows what you'll see. There's a hawk, there's a barn, there's a... Well, anyway. Here we go down this path, and the idea is you're driving, you haven't necessarily lo- left your route, you're still on the same path. It's just a parallel road. And when you get on that detour, you know that at some point that thing's supposed to end because this is not the road itself. This is a parallel path put temporarily in place in order that eventually you get back on the road. Ding. You see what I'm saying about the law? The law is something that didn't start at the very beginning of the journey. It's something that you come along part of the way. You're on the path of promise. Then you come up to the law. You know, God's like, hey, you guys, you're going to need a little something here because Jesus isn't here yet, so let me help. I'm going to give you the law, and this is going to be a parallel path. You're going to have to slow down a bit. It's going to be a little bit weird because every time you go to the left or the right, it's going to be like, boom, whoa, what happened? Well, you just broke the law, so I'm judging you. That's the way I set it up. And depending on how bad you break it, you might just hit the warning track, or you might hit the concrete barrier, in which case that's a big deal, and I'll send in the Babylonians or the whoever, and we'll really take care of business. And so all along the way, this law is guiding them, but its point is that it's temporary, and it comes to an end, and at that end point, it's pointing them back to the way of promise, which is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus. He is that bridge that gets us back on the right path. As we travel along this parallel route, uh, the apostle is saying, "Hey, look, guys, heads up, you're coming to, you've come to the end. The road is ended. You think all these orange signs are so cool. You love the warning track. Wow, isn't this great? But you've totally missed it if you don't get back on the way of promise and cruise down the road at 70 miles an hour. Let's go. Jesus is here, the way is fixed, and you're not obligated to stay on this little route anymore. It has come to its completion, it is fulfilled, it's ended, and now here you go. Let's move forward in your faith. Don't stay here. Follow Christ. The law has been fulfilled. It's come to its end. Get back to the way of promise. Thus, the Apostle Paul is basically saying this. If you want to write it down, here's, I think, the simplest way. The purpose of the law is to point to promise. The purpose of the law is to point to promise. Law points to promise. God moves us back to this path. Thus in Galatians 3 in this chapter, it says it like this. God gave it, that's the inheritance, to Abraham by a promise. Promise is the path. Don't mistake that. So here's the destination is perfection, the path is promise, and God is giving it to Abraham. Now the reason I want to really, you know, I emphasize some of those points there, is because even we Christians, this is when it starts to move in, we're moving now eventually to the application. We start to think that, you know, for us it's different, but for the people in the Old Testament, they had to earn their salvation by works. And the reality is, it couldn't be further from the truth. Even the law was applied to their heart by faith. Even during the period of the law, salvation was by grace through faith. God's gift of the law was a gracious gift to them. So they never earned their salvation or their, their, their eternal shalom by works of the law. That's a completely backwards way to think of it. Thus, Galatians 3.6, the apostle emphasizes, look... Jews, you should know this. You should so know this. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It wasn't the law that saved Abraham. It was faith. The whole kit and caboodle from start to finish has always been by grace through faith. So here we are now, three-quarters of the way through, headed to our final destination. Destination is one. Along the path of promise, promises two, carried by the vehicle of faith, the vehicle of faith is three. Now we come to number four: who is going to drive? Who is going to drive? We have the destination, we have the path, and we have the vehicle. We have the perfection, we have the the faith and the or the promise and the faith. Who's going to drive? Well, as I pointed out earlier, if, if you're a Judaizer, you think it's me. I'm doing the works. Look at any other world religion other than Christianity, and it's often a works-based process. You gradually ascend through these scales of self-improvement. You do, if you don't make it in this life, you can make it in the next. And just over and over again, you're trying to repeat this process to you reach some strange state. The reality is Christianity is much more concrete than that. It says your, your faith has an object. You have a person You have a content. You have scripture. You have the agency of the Holy Spirit. And so that perfected, glorified state is very clear and is very real. And you are not the driver behind this thing, but instead, God is. God is the thing driving this. Now probably as I just articulated that theology, you'd say, right on. I believe that, Pastor. But now when I say, let me apply it to your life, the question is, Do you really believe that? And the reason I say that is because what happens is often when we come to the Bible, the way in which we read it is different than what we just affirmed. The way in which we read it is, okay, so what do I do? What do I do? Where do I see me in this text? How does this apply to me? And if we're not careful, at least inadvertently, guess what we do? We make scripture from beginning to end all about me. It's all for me. Jesus died for me. It's for my glory. It's for my edification. It's for my sanctification. And we put on our yearbook glasses. And the way we read this thing is to first look, where am I? Where am I? Where am I in this? Now, it's true that the Bible can help you grow in your faith. And I'm not saying you divorce that from its reading. But what I am saying is it's a little bit like, let's say, for example, going to a running book. And if you went to a book on running, you wouldn't necessarily say that this book is about cooking. This is not a culinary chef book. Instead, it's a book about running. It might have a chapter or two in it on nutrition, hydration, avoiding cramps, protein, carbohydrate management, etc., But that's not its primary purpose. It'll have that in there, but that's not why it's there. It's to help you run better. So, too, with the Bible, the Bible is all about the glory of God. It's actually not about us. And if we read it as all about us, that's a very anthrocentric or man-centered way of reading it. The reality is we shouldn't be asking the question, where do I see me in this? But we should be asking the question, where do I see God in this? That is what Scripture is all about. Where do I see the hand of God at work? Here is the best way to ask this question. You say, where do I see the all-satisfying beauty and glory of God in this text? Where do I see the beauty and glory of God? Now, whether you realize it or not, that completely changes the whole dynamic. What drives you, what you're all about, why you do what you do, what you do, everything changes when that is your driver. So, for example, if Paul was to apply that in this text, what you would say is, where do I see God? Galatians 3.16. God gave the promises to Abraham. Let's go to another 3.16. John 3.16. So often taken as to be all about me. What does it say? God so loved the world that God gave His only begotten Son. This whole thing from start to finish, even salvation is for the glory of God. God gave. God gave. God gave to Abraham. God gave to us. God fulfills the promise. He is the divine mover and shaker behind all of these actions. Therefore, if you say it another way like this, you might say the promises of God are not on the response or actions of the promised beneficiary that's us but instead they're based on his own character. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 says it like this, let us hold fast to these promises without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And that that now for the last 10 minutes that is the whole point that we're moving to for your edification. The the encouraging part is this It's all on God and not on us. If it's on us, what happens? We fail. We drop the ball. We never get there. That destination of perfection and glory is lost. There's no hope. You might as well just live and be happy and die because you'll never get there. But if God is driving this thing, then you have a guarantee even in your failure that God will get you through. And that is so encouraging and so assuring that on this path of promise, headed towards the destination of perfection in our vehicle of faith, I can rest assured because God is driving. I don't have to worry about the storms that come along the way, no matter how hard the windshield wipers are going and the thunder and lightning is cracking. God's driving this thing, He is at the wheel. And I'm not going to sing some silly crunchy song at this point, but Jesus is at the wheel, right? God is driving this thing. He is propelling it and moving it forward. He he is the all-satisfying beauty and glory that is moving us. And so like Abraham, we don't just sit there then in the back seat, but we can get along on this ride and say, yeah, okay, because God is driving this thing, because I really believe that, then by faith I will... Fill in the blank. What do you have to say this morning? I am pitching the ball back to you. Now this is your opportunity. You say, okay, and I've theologically affirmed all that. I see the law was never by works. I believe like Abraham by faith. So what are you going to do? Because God is driving this thing, because you have the assurance of his complete power and perfection and control in every little circumstance, because he's at work, what will you do? Because God is at work, by faith, I will look, I personally will do better, I will try, I'll fail, I'll mess up, but I'm going to try to look to see the, His beauty and glory in each situation. What do you mean? Well, I just had a difficult conversation. It really wasn't that fun. Should I just get grumpy about it and frustrated and look inward and wham, wham, wham? wham? No, what I can see is God is beautiful, He is glorious, and he is sovereign, and so he has brought this situation into my life to refine me. And I get to learn patience, <laughs> I get to learn grace, I get to practice humility and repentance. All those things that I would probably not naturally do on my own. <laughs> God is helping me. Thank you, Lord, for bringing me into this situation. Seriously, that's how we have to be. It's tough, it's difficult. I can't see it yet because I'm not there yet, so how do I do it? Well, ask Joseph. Ask Job. Ask Jesus. Ask Paul. Each and every one of these persons, these great heroes of the faith, went through tremendous injustice, tremendous persecution, all the way to the point of death or near death, for the all-satisfying beauty and glory of God. Even Jesus himself says in the garden, this is what it's all about. Father, not my will, but yours. May you be glorified in all things. Because God is driving this, by faith I will. You may want to even write that down this morning and follow it up throughout this week. Because God is driving this, by faith I will. Believe that this relationship in my life is actually moving me forward for his purpose to his desired destination. May not be a relationship that I chose, may not be one that I enjoy, may be one that's difficult, but somehow it's moving me forward because God is driving this. I will believe that this circumstance is moving me forward. I don't like it. I'd rather be well, I'd rather have all the money I need, I'd rather whatever. But being in this situation sanctifies me and therefore brings glory to God. I will submit to that. Because God is driving, I will, by faith, stop being frustrated, stop being afraid, stop worrying, and believe, by faith, that God will get me where He wants me to go. Even if this isn't the path I've chosen. Because God is driving, I will. Because God is driving, I am driven to doxology. In humility, repentance, and faith, it is His kindness that leads me to repentance. It is the all-satisfying beauty and glory of God that drives me. That is something I can get excited about. That is something I can get passionate about. That is something I can bring my friends to, is when you say, here is the glory and beauty of God. Look at Jesus Wow, do you see that? It's a real person. It's a real relationship. It's not a law or a function or a process or anything else. It's not three steps to a better you. It's this guy. Look at that. Do you see that? That's beautiful. That's glorious. I am drawn in sweet passion and adoration and love towards my King. I am His bride. I am his and he is mine. Be drawn to the beauty and glory of God, and let it drive you passionately forward down your path. This is the idea, I think, in Galatians chapter 3. Paul is trying to shift their minds and say, Look, not this, but that, not law and works, but Christ and faith. Not you and your system, but God and in His glory. This is the driving factor in all of creation, in all of humanity, and should be in all of our lives as well. Ephesians chapter 1 says it like this. This is a conclusion. This is it. This is all for the sermon. It says it like this. Here Here is the whole summary of the matter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us just like Abraham, in Christ, with every spiritual blessing, the inheritance, we have it in heavenly places. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, there's your starting point for your journey. It goes way back. That we should be holy and blameless before Him. There's your destination. In love, He predestined us for adoption as His sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of His Divine will. He is the driver to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known the mystery of this driver, His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in the path long before. In Christ, as a plan for the fulfillment or the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth, forever and ever, to the praise of His glorious grace. Amen. Father, we praise you for your perfect plan. We are along for the ride. Some of the road sometimes seems bumpy, and sometimes it's not the way we would have chosen. Yet you and your incredible grace have designed and destined all these things in advance for us. Please help me to submit to that, Lord. Please help me to believe you. Please help me to step out on faith, whether it's a relationship or a risk or whatever. to Be driven by your glory and your beauty in compassion, humility, repentance and faith being driven by the beauty and glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray.